Okay, we are beginning Sefer Doniel, Perik Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, Bishnas Shalosh Lamalchus Yehoyakim. And so we ought to explain that we are beginning today, Mir Hashem, the study of Kisuvim. Kisuvim does not require any sequence. You've got Tehillim in there, you've got Mishle, you've got Eov. But the thought was here to continue the historical narrative which Malachi left off with. And we have what Rav Schwab calls in his parish on Nehemiah and uh, Ezra, a trilogy consisting with Doniel, then Ezra, then Nehemiah. And you will find that it restores us to the narrative form of stories that we were used to in Malachim and that we've gotten away from with the Nevi'im of Yechezkel, Yemiyahu, Yeshayahu, and Shreyosah. So we are going to go back to that. We continue the historical narrative basically at Bavel. The Golos ends of Bavel and the results after Bavel, the Golos culminating again in the Bayez Shani. So, one more word of introduction, and that is to set the stage. Nebuchadnezzar conquered Yehuda in segments. It was done in phases, four phases specifically, over a period of 17 years. So the first time Nebuchadnezzar comes, he conquers B'nai Israel, and his purpose there is not exile or destruction. His purpose is to create a vassal state that will pay taxes to him, pay tribute to him. He installs a puppet king that we have learned about, Yehoyakim, and he leaves them more or less on their own. Within two years, Yehoyakim very foolishly rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, causing him to come back. And now he comes back, and it is a bit more severe. There are going to be further times where he has to come back with um, Yehoyachin, and then the fourth time, Sidkio, and that fourth time is the total destruction of the bias, Yerushalayim, and the total Golos. At one point, what he does in the second invasion is a very clever device. In order not to have a repeat of a rebellion like Yehoiakim sponsored, he takes with him what we would call the elite, the creme de la creme of the community of B'nai Yisrael. He takes the artisans, he takes the uh, literary uh, elite, he takes the political, he takes the uh, wealthy, the commercial, even takes the rabbinicals. As Mephoshim say, he took the whole Sanhedrin, and he takes them back to Bavel, leaving, we don't want to say the dregs there, but certainly the very lowest strata, the tenant farmers, uh, pottery makers maybe, but he takes the rest back to Bavel on the theory that if you have taken the most powerful, elite, educated class, you have eliminated the risk of rebellion. 
They're there in Bavel. They can't be here to foment rebellion. And for the most part, it works. But at the same time, he has planted the seeds in Bavel of a community that is probably one of the greatest diaspora communities for the Jewish people of all time. But we will get into that later. So we pick up Pasuk Aleph, Bishnas Sholos Lamachus Yehoyakim Melech Yehuda in the third year of Yehoyakim, the king of Yehuda, Ban Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bavel comes to Yerushalayim by and he puts a siege upon it. This is because he rebelled against them. He hadn't done a thing. He was leaving them, again, pay taxes, pay tribute, keep quiet, keep the domestic peace, but Yehoyakim rebels. So first thing we know, how could it be We know Yehoyakim rules 11 years. So why is this the third year where he's going into exile and death, we should add? And Rashi points out rather. It was the third year of his rebellion. Three years after he rebels, Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes him. The Yotzar Alei puts a siege on Yerushalayim. Vayitain Adonai biyado es Yehoyakim melech Yehuda. God gives Yehoyakim swiftly into the hands of Yehuda. Um, as the Malbin tells us there, take him. It's immediate. Yehoyakim surrender. Ayudei hashkochas Hashem. Because they want to emphasize this has nothing to do with Nebuchadnezzar's military prowess or might. The Kaddish Baruch Hu has this divine plan, and Nebuchadnezzar is really, as we're going to see, a pawn in the plan. And so, Vayitein Hashem Biyado. He didn't have to do a thing, Nebuchadnezzar. Umixos Keli. But now what he does, Nebuchadnezzar, is take most or a good portion of the kalim, the utensils, the Elohim and the Beis HaMikdash. Some were secreted away, some are still there. By Yivyeim Eret Shinar, Beis Elohav. He takes them to Shinar. Shinar is another name in Tanakh for Bavel. And he takes them there and he puts them in the house of his deity, as it were. He puts them in his idol, uh, uh, his idol of choice, his temple that he had built for him. Again, he deposits them in the treasury. This move by Nebuchadnezzar of putting the Kalim in his place of worship is the seeds of the downfall, ultimately, as we're going to see of Nebuchadnezzar and the whole Babylonian Empire. It's a terrible mistake, and he will pay, as we're going to see, terribly for it. And now the king says, Ashpenaz Rav Sarisa, his head officer, Ashpenaz is a contraction for the, uh, unfortunately, say, Ishpanov Zoafin. He was a man of very dour face, very um, angry face. And the Mephoshim told us around Nebuchadnezzar, it was never very um, lighthearted. Nebuchadnezzar was like that, a very grim-visaged, angry person. And so his staff reflects it, as does Ashpenaz. 
now he gets a directive from the Buchadnezah. As follows. Bring from B'nai Yisrael from the seeds of the Malucha, and this refers to Hizkiyahu, which, by the way, fills a, a, fulfills a Nebuah in your Miyahu, that they will come and take your children to Babel. He wants the royal line, the nobles. What we're going to see is Nebuchadnezzar is obsessed with Jewish knowledge, with Jewish skill, with Jewish philosophy. He wants them brought to Babel in Toto, where he will co-opt them and use them to further his aims. Borsham say he did this with many lands that he conquered. He takes sort of the, the, the brains back to his palace. But here he does it with a special attention to detail. So he wants them to get it. And here is the description he gives Ashkenaz. I want Yiladim Asher Ein Bahem Komum, without a blemish. I want them physically perfect, not a scar on them. Vitovi Mare, beautiful looking. I want the externals uh, attended to. Umaskilim Bakol Chachmo, wise in every form of wisdom. The Das. They know knowledge, they can communicate the das, they have inductive skills, deductive skills. And they have the strength to stand attending on the king. That is my end game. Interestingly, what we say about uh, standing in front of the king, um, Rashi tells us, Sheyu Onsin Atzmon. Min haschok, umin hasicha, umin hasheno, mikne emas malchus. That what they were trained to do was stand at a rigid attention, no expression, no laughter, no fatigue, no some say no ability to control your needs to go to the the, the lavatory. They were told to withhold all that in and not speak. They were to stand totally disciplined. Um, At the same time, you are to teach them, or they are to be taught, the language of the Babylonians and the customs, the culture of the Kazdim. Kazdim is the synonym for Babylonians. So you see, and the Gemara and Sanhedrin, uh, Ayin Gimel, outlines these six characteristics that he makes. They're very definitive. They are to pay attention to the physical, the spiritual, the intellectual. Now he takes over every detail of their feeding. There was no detail uh, and their grooming for Nebuchadnezzar. There was no detail too small for him to deal with. They were to be fed from the king's table. The king would choose daily, as the unfortunate say, their diet. Their bread was from the king's table. Their wine was from the king's table. Ulagadlam Shnayim Sholosh Umiksasam Yamdu Lifnehamela. They were to be groomed for three years. 
given every cultural advantage. Everything was taken care of, physical, spiritual, learning. And the Mephorshim have a very interesting um, leanwood from this in Hulin. Three years. How did he pick three years? Says the Malbin from this we learn. Shekol Talmud, She'eno Roes Simon Bracha. A Talmud, any student who doesn't see success, progress, after three years, will not see success ever. We debate that in the Gemara. Some say they give him six years, but there is a strong um, consensus that three years, if you haven't made it in three years as a Talmud Chacham, you are not going to make it, and we get it from here. And amongst those that were exiled, and I should add as well, in that goals of the best and the brightest was not only Daniel, but was Ezra, was Nehemiah, was Mordechai, as we're going to see of the Purim Megillah fame. So it was a tremendous intellectual and cultural exile into Bovel. So, by Yehibam ibn Yehuda, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, the Azariah. They were four very bright, the Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were his friends. They were a close-knit group. By Yosem lahem sar hasarisim shemos. And it was customary when you took captives like these into the king's service, you changed their names. Classic example is Yosef that when Paro makes him the viceroy, he changes his name to Tzofnat Panea. He gives him a different name. So Vayasem Daniel Belshazzar, he names Daniel Belshazzar, Ulechananya, they're called Shadrech, Ulemishal is called Mishach, Ulazaria Abadnego. Sharak, Mishach, and Abadnego. Notice Daniel's name is given by the king himself. And it's Belshazzar. Belshazzar was his personal deity. That was Nebuchadnezzar's deity of choice. And so you see what he must have had an instinctual recognition of Daniel's innate abilities, that he would name him for his God. He sees immediately the unusual potential in Daniel. So now, Vayosam Daniel Alibo, Daniel keeps on his heart. Some say that means the, the Kriyashma. But basically, he does not want a Shaloyiskoel. He doesn't want to become defiled. Rashi says, Loshon Lichloch. He doesn't want to be dirty by eating the king's bread and then drinking his wine. It's contrary to his religious learning. Um, you're eating Pasakum. You're drinking Yayin Neset. And he goes to the head of all the officers and tells them he does not want to be defiled. He doesn't want this diet that Nebuchadnezzar has handpicked. Miraculously, the head of all the officers takes a very strong liking to him. And it's very important. Again, it's similar to Yosef and Potiphar, where they have an ally at first. By Daniel, he hears Daniel's idea. He doesn't want the food. He doesn't want it, and yet it's mandatory. It's going to be done for three years. 
And he says, I'm terrified of Nebuchadnezzar. If I'm going to withhold your food and your drink, you're going to see right away that without this diet, your face is going to be like lean and pale and, and jaundiced. And he's going to see all your companions are, are going to look healthy and, you know, vibrant, and you're going to look like Shrach. In other words, if I do that, uh, literally, he's going to have my head. Now Daniel goes not back to the Sarisim, he's just explained what he wants. He goes to the Meltzar, which is the head steward, which each group was assigned specifically by Nebuchadnezzar to attend his knees. They put him specifically to minister to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, the Azariah. Nasma Sabadecha. He proposes to the Meltzar a test. Let's make a test. Ten days. Give us from the Zroim. Zroim we would depart as pelt, but it's what it really is. Pulse, not pelt, but what it really is is beans, uh, legumes, healthy food, etc., and water. Ten day regimen. And after 10 days, come, observe. If we are really weak and fatigued, pale, sallow, fine, we end the test. But if not, we continue. He listens to him, the Meltzar. And he does. He continues this test for 10 days. Two points. Fortune say the 10 days are the Aserasi Mechuba. From this we get you don't eat Pasakum, or you had it's a Chumrah during the Aserasi Mechuba. Two, you will recall Esther, when she is being groomed by the uh, chamberlains of Achashverosh, asks for the same diet. Unfortunately, the Gemara seems to imply that she does not prosper under it, but all ends well. But it's the same scenario. They look fabulous at the end of 10 days. Their flesh is filled, more so than any of the other colleagues of theirs who've been eating the king's bread. And now the Melsos convinced. He gives them the diet they want, the, the legumes, beans, rice, and takes away the meat. Interestingly, not without an ulterior motive. His cheshbon, the Melsor, is the Buchanetzar is not going to see them for three years, so he's not going to notice right away. And two, he gets to keep the food himself. He takes it himself, it's his, and he's delighted with the arrangement. Madar, 
Kaddish Baruch has given them every kind of knowledge you want, the knowledge to absorb, to learn, to convey, to articulate, to induce. And Daniel understands all visions and can interpret dreams, which is, we're going to see is a very valuable skill. Three years pass, they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar. He speaks to them. He doesn't even have to test them further in speaking to them. Nebuchadnezzar sees just what he has in Daniel. Uh, and Mishael Razaria, the whole quartet. They are now chosen to service the king. The whole of our Chachmas Bina Shepi Keshmihim Hamelech, the Yomsim Eser Yodos Al Chachachachimim Hashmim Hashabachol Machusel. Every kind of Chachma understanding, ability, these four are ten times, that's what it says. The sorcerers, the necromancers, the astrologers, they run circles around them in all his kingdom. Daniel serves in the palace from the Buchadnezzar's reign, which we know is 44 years, to Koresh. We're not sure which Koresh is in Persia, the first one or the third one, but it is a very long time that Daniel will be there. So we see the experiment so far works. Daniel is ingratiated to the side of the king. Tomorrow, we will see his first task, a very strange dream that Nebuchadnezzar is stymied by, as is his astrologers, 8.45 8.45 a.m. tomorrow. Be there. You will not want to miss it.